What up all you hunks and foxes? Thanks for tuning in to The World is My Burrito. As always, I am your host, Corey Torgerson, and I'm coming at you with an episode to get jazzed about. If you'll let me hog the mic, I'll lay some smooth facts about the most groovy Godzilla film you'll see this year. So don't flake out! Shake off that grody disposition and slam my cherry voice into your ears, man. Cause we're getting down with Big Chonky and Big Monkey. First off, sorry it's been so long since the last episode. I'll get into all those deets after this meat has been tenderized. If you know me, you know I'm a huge fan of all things kaiju, but most importantly, Godzilla. So today, we're talking 2020's Godzilla vs. Kong... Oops, no, I'm sorry. 2021's Godzilla vs. Kong, the most wildly fanfic release in the franchise. I'm getting straight to it and airing everything out, so if you don't want this burrito spoiled, you better throw it in the fridge and beat feet. This won't be as far out as I may want it to be, but I needed to get behind the mic, so don't come unglued, dude. A good starting point? If you're wondering about my wackular vernacular, it's because this is the most 1960s sci-fi and adventure film. No, they don't talk like that, but I... Wanted to do something. Anyways, throughout the whole movie, I got vibes from various 1960s films and series like Henry Levin's Journey to the Center of the Earth, Nathan Duran's First Men in the Moon, Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, shows like Scooby-Doo, Johnny Quest, and of course, the zanier action-packed Godzilla films of the late 1960s and early 70s. To back this statement... There's a laser show scene from within a spaceship. The MacGuffin is located in the center of the Earth, and our cast literally goes there. This area is not accessible by modern tech, so the people who go in there are the first men and women to use new fanciful tech. The kids borrow what is basically the mystery machine to go meet a conspiracy theorist. After that, they just up and go to an underground base in Hong Kong by a different modern tech. It just gets more and more cartoonish as the story advances. Now, pair all that with the Tron and Blade Runner lighting of the 80s, and you have this movie. This is a perfect blend of dumb science, dumb fun, literal wrestling, amazing cinematography, and amazing art direction. Directed by Adam Wingard, starring King Kong as himself, co-starring Godzilla as himself, and Kaylee Hoddle as the only identifiable human. There are also a bunch of biomasses who act as cameramen, plot escorts, and confounding tie-ins that attempt to make this film fit within the franchise. This movie has almost nothing whatsoever to do with the previous films. It very lazily makes references to previous films and even has some returned characters, but nothing about those feel concrete. So many big plot points from within the franchise are just entirely ignored, our villain and his organization come out of nowhere. King Ghidorah's disenfleshed skull isn't attributed to Alan Jonah's organization. The Russells don't even act like themselves. And so much more. Hence why I view this as a fanfic as opposed to a direct sequel. This is a Kong adventure movie. It is about Kong's self-discovery that takes him from Skull Island to a leisurely boat ride in the Pacific, to an air ride in the Arctic, to a gravity-fueled ride to the center of the Earth via some very bad and inconsistent science. It is cool to see him as a main character, but also as a real character. And then we have Gia, who hits that sweet spot of small child who can relate with kaiju trope. 
Yeah, sure, it's existed elsewhere within the franchise, but the combination hero kaiju and understanding child are a staple of the late 60s, early 70s Godzilla. It's so dumb, but it really expands on Kong's intelligence and selfless concern for mankind. She brings out a lot of emotion in this film, whereas the Kong in Skull Island was really kind of limited to his intelligence. I'm not complaining, because that movie was such a great introduction and did so much with no need for explanation. As far as complaints go, I'm going to keep it down to a minimum. This movie is dumb and has a lot of dumb things in it. It is really good at being dumb, so the inherent dumbness and far-fetched science is not a complaint in my book. Embrace the 60s, my dudes. My big things are King Ghidorah was badly used. The set piece was cool and the concept was cool, but it really wasn't taken further than that. It started and stopped at Ghidorah exists within this realm. Let's move along. To be honest, I really wanted his head mounted within Mecha G's body, Kiryu style, instead of some weird satellite link thing that had no bearing on anything. Secondly, Mecha Godzilla's insanity. They didn't go into any further detail about how it happened, and I really wanted more bad science. Not only did Ghidorah not take over, but because there was no physical energy source, it's not like Godzilla's energy or Ancestors or the Earth's energy or some other BS means took over. That also started and stopped at, he's magically crazy, just accept it, man. Like I said, I'm down for the dumbness, but the whole situation was devoid of even the slightest BS reason. It just kind of happened and we had to accept it. I didn't notice as many off-the-cuff references to previous Godzilla movies. Uh, almost every number in King of the Monsters was a reference to either when that kaiju first appeared or when they first met Godzilla. But everything really had meaning. This film had some very light references, and I'm guessing Sublevel 33 is a reference to the original Kong release year, but was directly related to Mecha Godzilla, not Kong in this movie. For things I loved, we get Talking Kaiju. Now, there were no subtitles like in any of the 60s, 70s movies, but they did such a great job at making both characters visually expressive that you knew what was happening at any given moment. The characters had unique fighting styles, and Godzilla was damn relentless. I enjoyed the multiple times they leaned into him crawling with all four limbs, because that's, like, never something that we see. We haven't even seen that in this franchise, and it's just so cool to see this lizard-like creature doing lizard-like things. Kong leaping and bounding around Hong Kong was everything I had hoped for after Skull Island. It was just beautiful, even though realistically they probably would have demolished Hong Kong in about 30 seconds. Uh, it was nice that there was always magically a building standing for Kong to climb on or swing over or something. There are like two to three different roller coaster scenes in this movie. I'm pretty sure one of the sequences was taken straight from the old Kong ride at Universal, while several others retained that modern coaster feel. And honestly, like, I hope someone does that because it's just given to them it's free there's like whole seconds of ride maybe even minutes in this movie the cinematography is phenomenal and it really changes once we reach kong transporting on the ship the camera angles go crazy the point of view goes crazy 
Uh, there's just so much neat stuff that happens with Kong being under the water. We get to experience his point of view and his discombobulation with the situation at hand. Mechagodzilla's tech was made in such a way that it was somewhat practical, kind of like how Pacific Rim tried to keep so much realism behind their mech designs, particularly as it relates to the jets in his back allowing him to move so quickly, because he's clearly like upper stomach, chest, shoulders, and head above Godzilla. Uh, so this is a massive creature, and as a huge fan of Gundam, I love seeing the little boosters that make things move quicker. There aren't a ton of other references to G-Films, but the ones they have are nice. The boat sequence taken from the original Kong vs. Godzilla is used to develop characters and expand on Kong's intelligence and emotions, then used as an amazing action sequence. It is immediately followed by the helicopter transport sequence, which is insanely short and just nice to see thrown in there. But there is one hella important reference that people I've spoken with aren't catching. Within the film, there's a creature called Warbat, originally named Nozuki. It's the flying cobra thing. Now, nothing specifies this, but it looks almost identical to King Cobra from the 98 Godzilla animated series, specifically the Monster Wars episodes. Whether they wanted to or not, they definitely reference the American Zilla. The only other thing I'll mention is Mechagee's design. If Ready Player One was referencing the 93 cover art for Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2, then this was referencing RPO. It was a cool design, but it definitely felt like a copy of a copy. For the franchise as a whole, it has done something I never expected it to do. It captures the spirit of the Japanese franchise by diversifying the approach to each film. If you've seen any Godzilla generation in order, you're familiar with the films feeling disconnected despite some referencing others. Even when films are, quote, direct sequels, unquote, they don't always contain return characters. GVK upset the status quo of this franchise. The American franchise on the whole is kind of devoid of any real message uh, in any particular movie, but not gonna lie, that's kind of how it goes for a lot of the Japanese films as well. Uh, the messages are either exceptionally vague or kind of non-existent. There's only a couple that really sort of hit the nail on the head is what they're trying to relay. Now, as far as predictions go, there's been something resembling a pattern. G14 kept us on Earth. Skull Island kept us on Earth, then introduced us to Hollow Earth. King of the Monsters kind of tapped into Hollow Earth again, but introduced us to space while mainly staying on Earth. GVK leaned heavily back into Hollow Earth and kind of took us off the surface level and focused on Hollow Earth. So hopefully the next film takes us back into space. With Kong and Godzilla officially separated, I honestly hope we see a split in the franchise with the big two battling older kaiju. Godzilla's whack lair from King of the Monsters makes way for something like Seatopia. The blatant divide of upper and lower worlds makes Mothra and Batra sound much more reasonable. So much can happen, and I honestly hope they go nuts with it. Uh, if you've asked me before, I'll tell you the one creature that I still want to see in this franchise is everyone's favorite robot space chicken, Gigan. Uh, he's not my favorite kaiju, but... I just think Legendary would do a really cool job with his design. 
Some background info on this franchise that needs mentioning. One of the accredited names is executive producer Yoshimitsu Banno. May he rest in peace. Banno directed the psychedelic acid trip that was Godzilla vs. Hedorah in 71. He was expected to single-handedly revitalize the franchise. It has several great messages. It is a weird movie. It has some very tangential dialogue, but damn if it isn't a gem in the franchise. Bono also wanted to direct a trilogy. Now, the A number one producer of the Godzilla franchise at the time, Tomoyuki Tanaka, was hospitalized during the making and release of Hedorah. He got out shortly after the film's release, watched it, hated it, and basically banned Bondo from ever making another Godzilla film. So it's cool to see Bondo's name tied to every single one of these legendary Godzilla films, despite his death in 2017. Okay, hold on, because we're not done yet. After 2004's Final Wars, Toho was pretty upset about the wrestling kaiju thing, even though they willingly hired Ryuhei Kitamura to direct it. Seriously, Go watch his stuff and you'll facepalm at how dumb that sounds. The guy was known for wild action. Anyways, fast forward to the animated trilogy on Netflix that has everyone's panties in a bind. The reason they don't provide good fight scenes is because Toho forbid monster wrestling from the movies because they were still butthurt about Final Wars. Back to present day. Not only did Bonno make a major comeback with the Godzilla franchise and revive it, and make a trilogy, but there is one shot with all three kaiju that is literally a wrestling move. This franchise is basically the biggest middle finger to the ghosts of Toho past. I would love to do an even longer episode on this, but I really just needed to get something out. Uh, If I write more, I'll end up doing the thing that I always do, where I put myself into a corner of trying to overachieve and then take like another two weeks to release this. But it was a great movie, and if you haven't seen it, I really absolutely recommend it. Um, It is just dumb fun, and it is very good at that. Okay, so this is like a last-minute insert. Um, I didn't realize that Adam Wingard was a pretty prolific horror film director, And I just wanted to add that I think that is kind of just like the funniest and most surreal thing about this film. Um, I really enjoyed Daugherty as the director for King of the Monsters because you could definitely feel uh, that like horror approach to it. And I that's honestly what I thought Godzilla needed was another horror director. Um, So to see like Wingard just go off the deep end and make this amazingly silly movie was very impressive. So just keep that in mind. Uh, This guy has done a lot of horror films. Okay, podcast stuff. I'm still reading message to Adolf. More will come, but it'll be longer than anticipated. This whole delay started because I thought it was 200 pages, then discovered that was only one-fifth of the whole. It's way too complex to just quickly read and summate. Like, my first episode ever was on Dororo, which is like 800 pages, but that's kind of akin to describing the entirety of Johnny Quest, where Message to Adolf is more like Count of Monte Cristo. There's a huge divide in depth and quality between those two, Uh, and I want to try to do what I can for Message to Adolf. So, meanwhile, on the homestead... I had several weeks of an uncle getting diagnosed with cancer and inevitably passing. Uh, His passing came only 11 months after my other uncle passed, so assembling these episodes hasn't been a priority. 
uh, and definitely, as expected, kind of put me in a mood. Uh, this is now a few weeks behind, so we're good. Work-wise, I've still been working on larger and larger photo projects, so that has also not really helped with sitting down and taking time out for this. I do need to improve my length of content or my approach to length of content. Uh, This podcast wasn't supposed to go into longer episodes so quickly, at least not on the, with the content that I'm covering, but that is the nature of things. I've had some shorter episode ideas since this podcast's inception And I've done myself a disservice by not embracing and executing them. Most likely the next episode will be shorter than this. And I hope to have more shorter, more personally satisfying episodes in the future. That way it'll be much more enjoyable to actually work on these longer, big-ass episodes. Someday I'll have a sign-off and some beats, but today is not that day.